And that jarring cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, where we're three Doctor Who fans who enthuse, celebrate, and occasionally criticise the worlds of Doctor Who, whether it be music, stories on television, audio, books, comics, or anything else. I'm Kenny Smith, and today I'm joined by... I'm Tom Harris. And I'm David Steele. Hello, thank you for joining us. Welcome back. How are we both all ready for Christmas on this sunny Christmas Eve? Is, I'm going to be kind of. I'm 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 spending after we finish this recording. I'm spending the rest of the day wrapping presents, but I've bought everything I need to buy. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty up for it. Um, it's yep. uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a very odd Christmas, as everyone knows. But we'll get through it as we will. Dave, what are your plans over Christmas? I'm tempted to swear and say f all, Kenny, because obviously with the new restrictions, I'm not going to see my family. So it's I have. This is uh, this is not going to be the best. Let's let's just draw a line under that, shall we? <laughs> yeah. What we really need at this time of year is something to cheer us up, something perhaps like a pantomime. And it's just wouldn't it be great if there was something that combined Doctor Who and a pantomime in the form of one story? It would. But bef- before you start whittering on about this, Kenny, uh, and I'm sorry for breaking your train of thought, but I've got some news for both of you. Oh, what's that, Tom? Um, via email today. I got an email from Carlos. That's all. That's 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 all he says. That's and it says, "Hello, how's it going? Hope all is well. I have some cool information that might interest you. Your podcast, Power of Three, has good performance in some rankings last thirty days. Position seventy-one in the category TV and film in Bulgaria. Yes." <laughs> So to all of our Bulgarian fans, Greetings. I don't know how to say hi. And yeah, so there we go. There's there's good news to get the the year that's, off to. A, that's amazing. That's yeah. really really cool that the right. How do we how do we break the top fifty in Bulgaria? Maybe by releasing <laughs> more episodes and generate some 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 noise. That would do it. Well, that's lovely there to we know are. we're popular in Bulgaria. I say to all our Bulgarian listeners, hello. My Bulgarian is rubbish. Fantastic. Let's talk about something that is rather festive in its feel. Shall we go with that big Finnish classic from December 2001, The One Doctor? Is this one that you were familiar with, fellas? Yes, I I heard it at the time. I remember being teased that summer by our our friend David Darlington, who hinted about some of the famous comedy names that were going to be involved in it, because I think he was working on it, or or knew in advance. Yeah, I hadn't. I'd listened to it at the time, I listened to it a couple of times since, but this time was the first time I'd listened to it in a very long time, and I'd forgotten just how good it was. Tom, how well, about you? Well, since you ask, I I tell you what, I, I I listened to the first episode. Now you know that Bonnie Langford is not my favourite companion, and I listened to the first episode, and I hated it with a passion. And I thought, well, I I've told the guys I'm going to listen to the whole damn thing, so I might as well plow on and I was a bit resentful as well because I'd been listening to a different audiobook. I'd been listening to Barack Obama's memoirs and I was really enjoying it and I thought interrupting Barack Obama for this pile of tripe is just beyond the pale. But I, I but 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 hold hard there. I, I carried on 
And in the second episode, I thought, oh, actually, that's that's okay, I suppose. And I plowed on to the third episode. And I have to say, by the end of it, I can honestly say I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And even Langford isn't as bad in it because she's kind of sending herself up. I think uh, when 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 she or when audience takes her seriously is when I, I really do I, I really do have a problem. And I thought Colin Baker, who I loved anyway when he was the Doctor, and I I thought he was very good in this because you know everyone likes characters who send themselves up. It's why the Five Doctors reboot was so popular because it did you know all the actors in it did send themselves up and and people like that. So. Yes, I, I have to say when when Christopher Biggins came into it, I almost swore, um, and, <laughs> and almost switched it off. But you know, as with every, all the other members of the cast, you know, he, you know, he enjoys himself and he and he plays up the, his reputation. So yeah, it was it was good. I mean, the, some of it was obviously Doctor Who is far fetched anyway. But the most far fetched thing I have ever heard in my life is the idea of Christopher Biggins having a girlfriend. <laughs> Dave, I believe there's one line in this in particular that slays you. Well, yeah, there's there's quite a few lines. There's one, there, there are two lines that, well, there's one that I always remember that always makes me laugh, which is the scene when the Doctor describes his three wishes, which, you know, sort of peace and harmony, blah, 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 throughout the universe, blah, blah, blah. Um, then his final wish, <laughs> which is for more manageable hair, <laughs> which cracked me up at the time and many times since. But there's a line in episode one. I mean, this is this is written by Clayton Hickman and Gareth Roberts, and it's an affectionate sort of, I think, sort of send-up of the um, Pip and Jane sort of style. It's almost like season 23 and a half in a way. But the um, the line that actually absolutely wiped me out, which I've completely forgotten this time, was when the Doctor describes himself as the one and only nobody he'd rather be, <laughs> which is a line from the 1991 number one hit single by Chesney Hawks. It's the Doctor. Yeah, what's going Oh, I understand. Yes, it's all becoming very clear. You're the Doctor, then. Indeed, I am the one and only, and there's nobody I'd rather be. Exactly. I could, I, I, that line sounded familiar to me, and I couldn't quite remember what it was. I thought, I just, I thought that was outrageous. I like this line, I think it's the end of the first one, where the Doctor shouts, It's destroying my mind. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh Doctor, I, I can't... <laughs> end of end of cliffhanger acting yeah you could uh, you could totally visualize colin doing that it was joyous and it's, it's it makes me like colin even more that uh he you know he's making fun of his own reputation for overacting <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's kind of sweet and and uh, very yeah. endearing i think well i it was just it gave me the sense that you know, I could easily imagine this parallel universe where we got a couple more years of the Sex Doctor and Melanie, and this was the the Christmas story that went out over some alternate nineteen eighty seven. You know, the fact that Episode Three just consisted entirely of of Banto and Melanie, you know, putting up shelves. It was just it was ludicrous, but it was so funny and and played you know that that very sort of over earnest Pip and Jane, you know. Terror of the Vervoid style of writing, you know, it's obvious that it was written with a huge amount of love and affection. I, I was, I, I was surprised, Kenny, when you said this was from two thousand or two thousand one, um, because 
you know, I, I, I thought when I listened to it, I thought, oh, they're just ripping off the Chris Eccleston uh, adventure at the end of uh, season one of the reboot, you know, where the, the, the Weakest Link episode is uh, uh, featured. And, you know, the contestants who are obliterated end up being transported over the Dalek ship. But now that you've told me it was actually four years before that, I think that, you know, kudos to Gareth and Clayton for being ahead of the curve as far as, you know, inserting game show tropes into, into Doctor Who adventures. I mean, I think it's, there's so many popular cultural references littered throughout it. In many ways, it's got that new series feel before the new series came along when you've got throwaway lines in there. So referencing pop songs, which very rarely happened in the original series, yeah. let alone anywhere else. And it is very much, the pace of it is good as well. And in fact, you've got a bit of satire in there for things like Ikea, because let's be honest, how many of us have built up Ikea things and then found, where the hell is the missing screw or shelf Z3? I mean, in, in Ikea's defence, and maybe now is not the time, but I think Ikea get a, a, a really bad press and they are, of all the flat packs I've ever attempted, they are the, by far the simplest. But that might not be entirely uh, relevant to a discussion about Doctor Who Audio. Was Ikea a thing in Britain? Is it, it was as early as 2001, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. was. Yeah. But let me, let me ask, uh, why is the music, the title music on episode three different from the other four, uh, three episodes? I think quote this for you verbatim, Mr. Oh, right. Here we go. <laughs> this is from uh, Big Finish, the new audio adventures. The third episode features the alternative Delaware version of the Doctor Who theme. Ah, right. David Darling had produced three edits of this arrangement, having put forward the idea that it might be used in the One Doctor. Yes, it was my idea. He laughs. Although it was Gary Russell's even better idea to just use it in part three. In fact, Gary Russell got it wrong. It should have been on part two. So it's a bit of silliness for the festive well, season, really. I don't, and I don't know, is it not, it's on um, episode three of Frontier in Space, isn't it, as well? The Australian part of that, is, is that maybe what he was thinking of? That's probably where the confusion came from. I'm trying to it's, be, I'm trying to be nice. And that's what yeah. But what a great guest cast, guys. Let's be honest, it's, we've got the very first Doctor Who appearance of Matt Lucas, and yeah. we've got Adam Buxton as well. Hey, hey, hey. I didn't know Matt Lucas was in it. See, I'm listening. Yeah, to, I'm I'm downloading these on the Big Finish app, so right. you don't really get a list of credits. So I didn't know that Matt Lucas was in it. Who does he play? He's the Cylinder with the deep voice, oh, and he's also the Jelloid. Yeah, yeah, oh, he was right. a bit more obvious as the Jelloid, I think, when you when you when you know. Yeah, I, because that's something they've started doing on the app now. On the, the someone reads out the credits, which isn't right. something that. You know, the cast list, that didn't used to happen in the olden days. I did like you the know. Jelloid song. What did you hear more of that? I'm a very lonely Jelloid Sitting on my own <laughs> That was yeah. actually added uh, later on. That wasn't part of the original script. It was added oh, in right. post-production by Alistair Locke, who did the sound design. And he just recorded it because he thought it seemed apt and it married was, up quite nicely. I was going to ask you if you had some, and, and because there's a precedent for this sort of thing, I was going to ask you, Ken, if you had a previously unreleased full-length 10-minute long mix of a Jelloid song or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that I had, because trust me, it would be out there with the baked potato song from Matt Lucas. It was interesting that, not sexual politics, but sexual attraction unusually played uh, a heavier part than, than usual in a, in a big finish audio. No, no disrespect to, to Bonnie, 
there was an unexpected relationship almost blossoming in the middle <laughs> of all this. But, but just as unexpected was this attraction by Sally Ann for the doctor. I've never, I, I love Colin Baker. I've, I can't imagine he's much of a sex symbol for, for most of the female audience. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I'll tell you, there was a point, this was in the 90s. Do you remember Noel's house party on a Saturday night? No oh, God, yeah. And, no, no, trust me. And there was a bit when um, they would gunge sort of celebrities or celebrities would be threatened with gunge. And they had Paul Darrow, who played Avon from Blake 7, Colin Baker, and I can't remember who else it was, but three of them in a line. And I remember watching this and my mum saying, Paul Darrow doesn't look too bad, but Colin Baker, come on. So she was obviously disappointed that he'd, he'd got, shall we say, perhaps gone to seed slightly at this point. So I don't know. Maybe he had his fans back in the day when he was, you know, a bit more younger and virile. Who can say? Yeah. Of course, there's that wonderful line where Banto talked about Sally Ann having had mammary enhancement surgery as well. Something outrageous. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. I, I liked all the... There was that wonderful scene when the doctor invited Sally Ann to place her hands on his chest to, you know, establish the double heartbeat and all that. That and was the, the, whole scene, the whole scene plays out and she's still got her hands on his chest. <laughs> that was terrific. But, you know, that brings us obviously to their... um. Your TARDIS disguised as a portaloo, and then the sequence when it dematerializes, and you get the full long lengthy sequence of the, the sound effect of the toilet flushing. It was hilarious. What I didn't really get, although I thought it was funny, but I didn't really get why uh, police officers hang out hang around outside portaloos. Well, think of a bit of cottaging politics there, Tom. Yeah, but portaloos, you know, actual toilet, yes, but portaloos, you know, you only get portaloos at events that are temporary so anyway i don't that's right and after you know after some of the music festivals i've worked on after even after half a day those play they, they become awful oh i know i know i have i've I've, uh, I've been forced to use them myself on occasion but i don't remember seeing many police officers outside them but anyway yes that was that was very funny you know, the, the light-hearted vein of it all is it definitely is it feels very festive. Would you say it was a good, appropriate story for Christmas? Yeah, it's, it's the perfect sort of Christmas story. I mean, sometimes I get a bit... Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I get a bit annoyed if a big finish episode in a four-part story goes on to 30-odd minutes, which has happened a few times again recently. And I just think, come on, have a bit of discipline. But this one you didn't mind. When I stretched this out over my walk over three days, because it was so good. I did the same. I, and I, as I said, you know, at the beginning, I thought, oh, God, this is a one joke story and it's not a particularly good joke. I really didn't think that by the first episode. By the end of it, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it and I really did enjoy it. And it did the joke did sustain itself over over four episodes. Um, I wouldn't automatically, if, if I didn't know this had been published just before Christmas, I wouldn't automatically assume it was a Christmas episode uh, or a pantomime episode. As you know, I regard almost everything after 1986 as being a bit of a pantomime anyway. But 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 nonetheless, it was it was really very good. I haven't enjoyed yeah. a, a big finish audio like that for, as much as that for some time. Yeah, it's, it was quite a good few years since I'd, I'd listened to it, and you know, really enjoyed spinning it again. And you know, I think as a sort of, I think it was it's obviously made been made as a sort of pantomime story. I mean, you could take it entirely seriously if you felt like it, but you know, you could tell there was a, you know a wink to the audience going on at certain points and. You know, with these yeah. slightly caricatured and heightened versions of the Doctor and Mel, and it was you know the way that the, you know Melanie would say something, and the Doctor would say, "Oh, don't be so disheartened, Mel." You know, which is very, very authentic. I think Gareth's quite fond of that style. Kenny, yeah. can I ask about the 
the artwork for this because it's a very. Uh, I mean, I know that they have to. They don't show any of the actors as they currently are. Obviously, they show uh, Bonnie Langford and Colin Baker as they were back in the late 1980s in the show. They don't need to do that with Christopher Biggins, but they seem to have changed his face somewhat from what he looks like at the moment. It looks very odd, I think. Clayton did the cover for this one, and I think they just sort of tried to make him look a bit more doctorish to give him that sort of super Victorian right. outfit, right. Uh, just to try and, and give him the sort of slightly more doctorish hair than, than Biggins has or had at the time, because it was slightly, slightly longer in a slightly middle-aged man haircut, whereas that way makes him look a bit more... Just a bit more doctorish. I wonder if they tried to make him look as if, if they had, again, like I said, if they had made it in 1986. And Biggins was a big name in those days still. You know, he could have he could mm. have been a, an amusing guest star. I mean, one thing that was, that was funny, actually, it was almost an inversion of the, the Christmas David Morrissey episode that I'm such a big fan of. Yeah. You know, you know, someone else who's not the doctor. And obviously, Morrissey's case, it was like, you know, genuine like mental yes. thing. And, yeah, and this time, it was a genuine impersonation. I mean, that's quite... That's a brilliant idea. Well, here's a, here's a thought that might keep you all awake at night. I mean, given right. given who the producer of the show was in the late 1980s, <laughs> would would anyone have been all that surprised if the announcement had come that Christopher Biggins had been actually cast as the Doctor? Oh God, no! You're knocking. Yeah, yeah. Aye, Biggins is a proper Shakespearean actor. You've got to remember that. That's you may think he's an I Claudius. <laughs> he's absolutely fantastic in that. That's true. Absolutely amazing. Uh, yes. But and he's also, he's, he's also the presenter of On Safari with Gillian Taylor and Adam Painting and Rent a Ghost. And Bonnie Langford was in Just William, and that does not mean that she is appropriate to be a, a, a doctor companion. The idea that Christopher Biggins should be a doctor is such an, a ridiculous notion that it must surely have been taken seriously by John Nathan Turner. <laughs> I think, given that it's this one off occasion when we get. He is playing a doctorish character. I think he absolutely carries it off. I think he's brilliant. Yes, he is good. And I, cannot, and I cannot imagine anyone else having played the part. Can you? No, I suppose not. Um, he, has, he is very good in it, indeed. Can I just offer one slightly half-serious criticism? And it's not so much of this particular story as an awful lot of them. In my in my mind, I, I, don't ask me to name any others. I, I get a little bit irritated when writers and, and casting directors seem to think that a shortcut way of indicating that someone is either stupid or corrupt is to give them a working class accent. Uh, and it's the same with Sally Ann, you know, when she's been all nice and, and pretending that she is the doctor's companion, she's got a much more posh accent. But when she's being herself and she's being a crook and when she's conspiring with uh, Christopher Biggins to defraud this, this planet, she laps back into her normal East End working class accent and it's not a big deal and I and I don't want to get too precious about it, but it really bugs me. And I mean, I'm a big Genesis fan, uh, you know, especially classic Genesis of Peter Gabriel, but it's always been a source of irritation to me that when, when Gabriel sings a lot of lyrics in the voice of, of somebody who's corrupt or stupid, he always falls you know this charter house public oh. school boy he falls into this 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 knack of of putting on a, an east end accent and i just think oh, come on anyway that's all the way i read it tom was that you've got sally ann is pretty much a spoof of mel so she's playing it all nice and polite and posh and then when she returns to herself she's completely different yeah yeah i'm well, sure 
I think it's. I think it struck me actually whilst listening to it was I thought that S- Sally Ann, when she was doing her sort of normal voice, reminded me an awful lot of Flip. Who's Flip? Who was another Six Doctor Big Finish companion played by the the fantastic Lisa Greenwood, who is another who is a contemporary East London sort of um young girl. And there was there was moments when I was listening to it, and I thought she sounds so much like Flip. It's almost distracting. And this was obviously a good ten years or so before Lisa had actually yeah. recorded her first story. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any of Have you heard any of Lisa's stories, Tom? I have not. That's why I said who's Flip. Right, she's really good. But start with the start with the Curse of Davros. Right. She's okay. Brilliant. She's excellent. Of course, this story's got a little Easter egg at the end, which has two titles. It's either known as Doctor Who and Mel's Christmas or Christmas Cutaway. <laughs> I missed, Tom, I missed, it, I you missed, missed it this one completely because I did listen because sometimes in, in the end of Big Finish audios you get a little documentary or something, a little making of, and I listened for a few seconds after the music finished and nothing came on, so I switched it off and went back to Obama. Apparently, I just yeah, I haven't heard this at all. I will now go and hunt it down. Talking of little making of documentaries about things, we've actually got a special guest now, guys. Here is the producer of The One Doctor, Mr. Gary Russell, to tell us how this little extra episode came about. Hi, I'm Gary Russell. I was the director of this little um, Christmas cutaway, I think Clayton called it. The Christmas cutaway. My memory of that really is... Clay coming in on the recording and saying, oh, this is going to be a Christmas release. I've written this last night. Do you think Bonnie and Colin would do it? And I knew they would, and they did, um, because they were both up for having a laugh. I'm not sure when we recorded it. I have a feeling it wasn't the very last thing we did, because we did stuff after Colin or Bonnie had left. And I think we did one read-through, and then they did it in one go. I don't think there's lots of multiple takes of that. I think literally we sat and press record and off they went and they did it in one, which gave it a sort of frisson and uh, made it seem a little bit spontaneous, which was nice. And then Alistair, obviously, in, in post is clearly someone who's never poured a glass of sherry in his life because he pours enough sherry out of there to get about 30 people drunk in one go. Because, you know, sherry, you go, oh, and there you are, that's a bit of sherry. And he's going, like half a bottle of wine's coming out. But what a fun little piece that was. But yes, that's all Clayton's work. All I had to do was, was get them to, to, to perform it. And I'm trying to think, who did the voice of Queen Elizabeth? And I'm going to guess it was Claire Buckfield, because she would have been the only other person around, unless Alice had got someone to do it in post-production. I honestly can't remember. I mean, there were no other women in The One Doctor. Doesn't sound like Claire, but um, that's intriguing. But what a lot of fun! What did you think of it? Given that it's just a bit of short fun, I think it was it was charming. It was nice. I liked the you know when they talked about getting the wrong Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, it was lovely. Just a nice little bonus scene. But it's a nice wee touch. It's just pretty much Mel and the Doctor having had Christmas dinner, and just sitting back and chatting away. But also going back to the one Doctor mentioning the Doctor Mel chatting. I loved the. Seen when the doctor says, Mel, how's your weeping willow act? And she just sort of goes, what? I don't get it. They're taking the piss out of the ridiculous dialogue that Pip and Jane would write, where the doctor says, how's your ridi- right. whatever it may be? And she goes. Right. There was quite, a, there was a lot of really good sort of Pip and Jane references throughout. You know, it was that, as I've said a couple of times, that really heightened sense of, you know, just over earnestness and oh, I love about Pip and Jane, I can't lie. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's in the style of Pip and Jane, then obviously it is going to be the style of a pantomime, isn't it? Yeah. 
Oh, yes, it is. Absolutely. At this point, I'd like to remind you that you can find our website where you can download and listen to past episodes of our podcast, which is www.powerof3pod.com. You can find us on Twitter at powerof3pod, that's three, number three, or you can look us up and find us on Facebook. All in all, would you say that this is one that you would maybe listen to again, Tom, given that this was your first listening and you know what to expect now, what the tone of it is like? Maybe in a while, not not immediately. And I will and I will hunt down the the little extra. But I think you know the fact that I listened to it all the way to the end. Um, you know, just bank that, mate. Don't 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 force me to listen to the damn thing all over again. I, I did I did actually finish it. So you know, that's that's a good thing. Dave, when you think back on it now, having heard it again, how would you sum up your feelings towards it? Well, it's it's lovely. It's a, it's it's an obvious love letter to a very specific period of the series by two writers who obviously love it as much as they they can laugh at it. And and it was great. I will happily revisit it in another five or six years' time. Tom, the good news for you is that come May time, Clayton and Gareth wrote a script the following year, which was a spoof of Eurovision. Bang bang a boom. So right. there's one we can come to then, which has got Sylvester <laughs> and Bonnie, two of your favourites. Oh, I cannot wait for that. Um, uh, now, it, just, it so happens that I'm going into a, a medically induced coma for the next 17 years. But as soon as I'm out of that, I will definitely listen. <laughs> Lovely. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time on this pleasant Christmas Eve. I hope we're all wrapped up nice and cosy. We've got the Christmas tree lights on and we're all nice and snug. And all ready for the big day for Santa Claus coming tonight. Uh, thank you all for listening. And I uh, hope you two guys have a great Christmas and I will see you on the other side of it. Yes. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have the best day that you can. If you're on your own, if you're lucky enough to be with your family, I hope Santa's good to you. We'll see you very soon. Yes, exactly what Dave said. If you're in the house on your own, due to these horrible circumstances, please have a great Christmas, stay safe, and 2021 will hopefully be a better one for us all. Very Merry Christmas to all of you at home, and we've also got a celebrity to wish you the same. A Merry Christmas to all of you at home. And a very Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Dave, what are we going to play out with? Oh, Kenny, I'm glad you asked. We're going to play out with the 1991 number one smash from the son of Chip from the Tremolos. It's Chesney Hawks with The One and Only. (laughs) 